Welcome to National Smile Month, where we have a final episode of the season today. Now we're talking to Gordon and Vishal, who have both been involved in the Right to Smile consensus, discussing the oral health inequalities that people with severe mental illnesses can face. We had a really lovely conversation and talked about some really important things, and I really hope that you get as much out of this conversation as I did. So I'm here with Dr. Vishal Agarwal and Gordon Johnson, who are going to share a little bit more information about mental health and oral health in general. Um, Gordon, if we start with you, do you want to just introduce yourself quickly? Yeah, hi, I'm Gordon Johnston. I'm 57. I live in a little village called Clipmanon in central Scotland, and I have lived experience of mental ill health, and I do a lot of work around policy and research in mental health. Okay, and what about yourself, Vishal? Can we get a little bit of background as to you? Sure, so I'm an academic dentist. I'm currently a clinical associate professor at University of Leeds Dental School. My academic interests are centred around improving oral health outcomes uh, for people in all vulnerable populations, really. And this is currently centred around people with severe mental illness and chronic pain in the face, mouth and jaws. And, and the latter, so the, the chronic pain work has been what I'm known for in my career up to 2016 before I joined Leeds, um, where we've developed a supported self-management intervention to empower patients to manage their pain and live well with it. So it's about understanding problems from patient perspectives. Mm-hmm. Which is such an important piece of work to do when we talk about anything medical. But, you know, especially with um, with mental health, we're getting better at talking about it, but we're not quite at the point where I think we need to be. And, you know, Gordon, you've said you have lived experience um, was it with bipolar disorder. Would you like to share um, a little bit more information and um, give us a little bit of a breakdown of your experiences with um, with bipolar, if you're comfortable doing that? Yeah, so my, my story is a bit atypical in that I was around 40 before I was actually diagnosed with a mental illness. Although looking back, I, I had what I would now call my first manic episode when I was 17. Um, so over many years, I've had long periods when I've been fairly stable. I've also had periods of major depression and manic episodes as well. And you know, that's that's had a pretty major impact on my life. And in some ways, being diagnosed at a relatively late stage allowed me to make sense of a lot of the things that I had done and that had happened to me through my life at that point. So in, in some ways, when I got used to the idea, it was actually quite a positive thing to have a diagnosis. And has your um, experience with bipolar, how has that affected um, other areas of your health? Because it's, it, it must impact other areas of your health in, in a few different ways. It, it, it definitely does, Sophie. I mean, I, I think the key thing in a lot of ways is simply that your, your focus is so on your mental health and getting through the challenges with that, that things like physical health, oral health simply don't reach the top of the to-do list. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, when you're in a major depressive state and getting out of bed in the morning is is quite a difficult thing to do. You know, the idea of, of getting washed, showered, dressed, cleaning your teeth, to, to be honest, doesn't always happen. So over, over many years, I would say that my, my, my oral health was not as good as it should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I got out of the habit of going to the dentist. 
And I think like a lot of things in life, the longer you leave it, the more difficult then it becomes to get back into the routine. And there's also a bit of, of, of shame, frankly, comes from, you know, trying to explain to the dentist why you haven't been for what for me became, let's be honest, decades rather than years. Um, so ultimately it did have a very serious effect on my um, oral health. And, you know, it, it was only when I got to the stage of having quite a lot of pain, a um, couple of big cavities and a couple of loose teeth that ended up coming out. Mm -hmm. um, that was what it took to get me to going back to the dentist. So Vishal, would you say that that, um, that Gordon's experience is quite typical of someone that has a severe mental illness when it comes to oral health? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the work we've done recently, um, looking at it on a population level, both in the UK and US, so it's not just uh, limited to the UK, but it's a global problem where people with severe mental illness have much higher rates of gum disease, tooth decay, missing teeth, pain, you know, lack of access to a dentist. They don't frequently attend dentists, as Gordon said, it's associated with shame. Um, and, and one of the things we find is there's a vicious cycle here. Um, because oral health, really, um, people who've got uh, severe mental illness experiencing poor oral health leads to social isolation. Because a lot of people who we've interviewed, uh, patients that with severe mental illness have reported that they, they feel embarrassed going out. They think they've got bad breath, discolored teeth, um, especially if they've got dental decay. And they've got other issues because the medications they use that cause dry mouth which makes them more prone to dental decay. Um, uh, and, you know, that, that can be a huge problem. Mm -hmm. And again, smoking, you know, the teeth get discolored. Um, and, and it's really that these problems are preventable. Mm -hmm. So dental diseases, so good, good oral self-care behaviours, like toothbrushing, you know, reducing frequency of sugar intake, stopping smoking, can actually prevent these conditions. And you yeah. know, so what Gordon's describing is the delay in getting help, which is really a problem. So tell me a little bit then about this Right to Smile um, initiative that I know we we were very um, grateful to receive and have a look at. It looks brilliant, but um, do you want to just talk through what the motivations behind that were and how that's going? Yeah, absolutely. So so as I said, you know, we, we started this work a long time ago in, it's about 2014 when I got involved in the first trial with colleagues in Nottingham, and we showed a simple checklist prompt wasn't sufficient to improve oral health in people with psychosis. So if you prompt them to brush their teeth or visit the dentist, that wasn't sufficient. So it's more of a complex problem. And obviously now we know about the inequality and the vicious cycles that exist, that we need a whole team approach. Mm -hmm. And at the center of the team has to be the patient. And as I said, the these gum disease and dental decay are preventable. So getting these messages out early was the motivation for that consensus statement. So at the point of diagnosis, so when somebody is diagnosed by say the psychiatry, psychologist, or, or even at GP level, then oral health should be prioritized at that point. Mm -hmm. It's before it gets to what Gordon's described, losing teeth when it's too late really. Um, and and, uh, and really, so that was the motivation to raise awareness amongst mental health workers and, and you know, mental health care professionals mm -hmm. to diagnose people early on and also amongst dentists. 
so that they can be aware that this is a huge problem, that vicious cycle, what poor oral health can do to mental health and drive that vicious cycle, drive the patient into a spiral mm-hmm. um, was, was the other reason for doing it. And then commissioners, because we know from the news, you will see NHS dentistry, there's huge problems around access. So could we prioritize it for this group of patients with severe mental illness? Because we know that is a huge oral health inequality for this population. Mm-hmm. And it was it was really lovely to, to see that things are being done and things are being pushed for. And more importantly, that people with lived experience were being consulted and asked to provide feedback. These people are actually being asked, okay, what would be good for you? So, I mean, Gordon, how have you found, you know, sharing your lived experiences with with these groups of people and how receptive have you found that they've been? I think the the whole point of a consensus statement is to bring together people with lived experience, researchers and professionals in the dental field. Um, And and it's only by working together that we will understand each other's perspectives and come up with the right answers, frankly. Mm -hmm. Um, It has to be done as a partnership project. Yeah. Um, If you you know, think back to when you were going to see the dentist, um, maybe after you'd had a very long break. And how did you find they were like, did you tell them about, you know, okay, my mental health hasn't been great, which is maybe why I haven't been in so long? Or was that a conversation that you were able to have with the dental professional at the time? Yeah, I mean, not 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 on the first appointment, but with 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 the number of problems I was turning up with, um, mm-hmm. as you would understand, there was there were a whole series of appointments when I eventually did go, and um, I, I think having having not been to a dentist in probably about thirty years, I, I did notice an awful lot of change over that time. Not surprisingly, mm-hmm. and you know, ultimately, my my dentist was was very good and very supportive. Um, you know, didn't castigate me too much for what I'd done or not done over the years, but instead concentrated on on what we could do together to try and, and fix some of the issues that I had. So I, I think quite while it would be fair to say that I had I had a lot of trepidation leading up to the first appointment, it was it was nowhere near as bad as I feared it might be. Mm-hmm. I think that's quite common. Um with dentists especially that it's quite a common thing to get that nerves about going even if you go regularly it's just it happens to everybody but yeah like you say if you haven't been for a long time and you've you've built it up it's yeah I I can see that yeah I think let's be honest nobody really likes going to the dentist do they sorry Vish um but you know (laughs) it's it's something that that we have to do and it's something that that we have to get over that that Mm -hmm. barrier um, if if we know that there is help there to support us, if we know that the treatment's going to be good, we know it's going to be to our benefit. I think we we, we just need to get our mind into the right place and, and get on and do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what it, it comes down to. Um, Vishal, how can dental practitioners help um with like the preventative side of um, of helping someone with a severe mental illness, you know, things like counselling on um, brushing habits, diet, um, all the things that are covered in an appointment. Well, I guess what would your advice be to if any practitioners have um, patients that 
they've identified as having a severe mental illness or psychosis or, or similar. So I guess I'd go back to what Gordon just mentioned there, that mm -hmm. he worked together with his dentist and it's a partnership. I think that, that where you get into difficulties when you try and tell the patient this is what's wrong and this is what needs fixing. Um, and I guess it's about understanding the problem from the patient's perspective. So maybe looking at the impact. What impact is that oral health having or the lack of oral, good oral health having? And what are the priorities for that patient? You know, so it may be so traditionally we are taught to cure the underlying problems of the gum disease or the, uh, you know, uh, the decay and start working with prevention from the outset with the patient. And only until they comply do we start intervening. But it may be with somebody with with severe mental illness, they might need to see the positive impact first. So you might give them a, a good clean around their teeth and a polish. They get their smile back and they say, well, actually that's great, you know, I'm going to start working on this. So it's that initial, um, you know, starting point that needs to be really in partnership with the patient and understanding what is it that they're looking for and how is the, the lack of oral health impacting them, mm -hmm. not just around their teeth, but around their general well-being, because, you know, oral health can impact all, in all aspects, really. Your aesthetics, as we talked about, your smile, the bad breath, is it preventing them from socializing? And so working at that and then achieving those goals and setting mm -hmm. targets for the next appointment and then saying to the patient, look, let's work together. If you brush your teeth, this wouldn't happen again. The cleaning I've done or the other, I've got your smile back. If you keep doing this, you know, we would be able to stop it because it's preventable. Mm -hmm. The same with the decay that's associated with frequency of sugar intake. So I don't know what Gordon would, would say to this, but I presume people in this, and we've shown that people will be snacking frequently and maybe having a lot of sugary drinks. So you see a fizzy drinks as well can be absolutely harmful for your, uh, for your teeth. So it's about reducing the intake of these sugary drinks and, and foods to meal times, mm -hmm. and in between meals having the right foods which are, which are protective for the teeth. Mm -hmm. So it's very simple changes, but not making wholesale changes, which will result in non-compliance. Carers can come on board as well. Mm -hmm. And I think if dentists, if, if, if um, people with mental health have carers, then maybe bring them to the appointment or family members who can support that uh, plan and have a real key oral health plan to work with. Mm -hmm. On that point, um, so people that aren't in the community and are in an inpatient facility, how, how then does the, the dental system capture those people and make sure that they're able to take care of their teeth? And obviously in certain situations, diet and things are very regimented and it's, it differs person to person like anybody. But if someone's not in the community and able to go and see like a community dentist, what then happens with those patients? That's a really good question. And, and one of the things we're working with now is getting other mental health professionals involved and understanding oral health, because they're very simple um, things you can do, you know, regulating sugar intake or brushing teeth, making sure within those inpatient facilities, those are prioritized, which often they're not. 
you know we've we've um, we've had stories of people not brushing their teeth within hospitals uh, not having the, the opportunity if they don't have their toothbrush you know are those available within that hospital setting and there are dental um, and oral surgery departments within hospitals so there are dentists who work within a hospital departments so they can be consulted so it doesn't necessarily have to be in the committee, but they would be dealing with the immediate problems if there was any urgent dental problems. But the issue is for that spiral not to start in the first place. If they can keep brushing their teeth, fluoride toothpaste, you know, regulate sugar intake, then it can be a really good um, way of preventing it and, and keeping on top of things while they're in patients. And then that habit can carry on outside. Yeah. We go back into the community. And, and you see, this brings me back to lack of dentists. So there are there is a lack of um, access to dentists, which and if we can get other people involved, we're even working with groups of pharmacists now to see if they can provide simple oral health preventative messages. Um, and GPs as well can be at the center of this. So, so the team that we've got with the consensus statement includes GPs, dentists, mm -hmm. mental health workers, psychiatry, psychologists, um, and people with lived experience and carers. So David David Shears, who's been instrumental with the consensus statement, is a carer mm -hmm. and has experienced firsthand how you know uh, person is caring for has uh, has had poor oral care when they've been within an inpatient facility and and out out in the community. Mm -hmm. That's a common theme um, that I've heard a lot because I've over the, the last month or so, I've spoken to a lot of different people with different backgrounds, so like dental therapists, nurses, hygienists, people that are going to do community stuff. And the common theme it seems to come down to is education, that the education isn't there with a lot of medical professionals about how to help someone, say, with a dry mouth or help make sure someone's cleaning properly or help with i mean anything that can be pinned down to oral health there isn't enough education oh, there absolutely so it may be about just changing the medication which would boil down to the gp knowing that a dry mouth has got deleterious consequences on oral health so mm -hmm. yes um absolutely and, and i think one of the things research has shown education doesn't change behavior it, it, if you increase patients knowledge or a practitioner's knowledge um, you know, it will not change patient behavior. So it's a, not a one-stop shop. It's about monitoring, bringing the patient back in and mm -hmm. saying, are you doing this? Are you, are, you know, are you able to comply with it? Are there any problems? How can we support you? So it's, it's um, and, and this can happen in dental practices where you see the patient for a visit and then you're not seen again for six months. And that can yeah. be too long. So patients with severe mental illness will need a regular recall. Mm -hmm. until you can achieve that stabilization of their oral health mm -hmm. with um with yourself gordon is that does that sort of ring true as to what you experienced when you were you know going back and sorting out your your oral health and working with with a dentist it it does yeah i mean so so, so much of this is about habits and getting into the right habits and you know, once you begin to see the the, the gains from 
good dental treatment, then I, I think, you know, naturally you do begin to think, okay, you know, I've gone through the hard part, I've begun to make some changes, it's up to me now to continue doing the good things and make sure I don't go back to where I was. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, there's something, I guess, quite human about that feeling of, sort of having achieved something and wanting to protect the achievements and build on them. So, yeah, I think my, my dental habits are now much better than they were before. Which is brilliant. That's what we want. <laughs> well, do you either of you have any golden pieces of advice, for lack of a better term, that you would share? Either Gordon, if there's anyone with um, bipolar or, or a similar mental health condition that does find taking care of their oral health challenging, from your experience, what's helped you, and with with Vishal as well, any information that you would share to those who are experiencing uh, ill mental health? It's, it's, it's difficult to think about prioritising oral health when you, you often have many challenges in your life. But I, I think, like many aspects of healthcare, early treatment is, is really the, the key to this. So, you know, not, not letting problems build up and having to deal with them later like I did, it's far better to get in there early. So I, I think what, what, what I would say is, is, is get help, seek out a dentist. You know, they're, they're, they're quite nice people, really. They will help you get in the system, get regular checkups, get into those good habits, and you'll see the benefits in the long run. Yeah, I would uh, completely second and echo that, uh, Gordon. Um, It's about getting early intervention and initiating those habits early. But also remember, you can look after your own teeth. All these conditions are preventable. So find a dentist early, get help before it spirals out. If you're embarrassed, don't don't let that play on your mind and just go out there and get some help. Uh, look at the consensus statement. Um, there's some links to some really good leaflets there that can give you some real good tips on, on self-care, using a fluoride toothpaste, brushing twice a day, techniques on how to brush your teeth, um, interdental brushing between your teeth, and avoiding snacking on sugary foods and drinks, which can be pretty harmful. There's saliva substitutes for dry mouth as well that can be used. So, you know, see your GP about changing medications if you're getting those symptoms. Well, like you say, if, you, if it's not possible to change medications, then there are those things that you can use in addition to help with, with dry mouth and saliva. And um, sometimes chewing gum as well is what we say yes. to people is have a chewing yes. gum and it helps with the saliva. Sugar-free gum. Sugar-free yeah. chewing gum is great. It stimulates saliva, but that neutralizes acid. So that's, that's brilliant. And I'd just say prevention, prevention, prevention is the key. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The same with everything, really, isn't it? You can put us out of business you know, as <laughs> dentists. <laughs> but that's what we want. We want healthy mouths. That's what we want. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, both of you, for um, for spending some time out of your day talking to me. Um, uh, if anyone wants to find out more information about the consensus as well, I will put all of it in the, the podcast description and I'll put a link up on our website as well. Um, the Oral Health Foundation are happy to support it. And so we will be able to, to share it wherever we can share things. So, um, so yeah, thank you very, very, very much, both of you and have a lovely day. Thanks for having us. Yeah.
Dr Vishal Agarwal and Gordon Johnston there talking about mental illness and oral health. Now, if you want to learn more about that, I, like I say, will link all the information about the consensus in the description of this podcast. It's really interesting read, so I hope that if you do go and have a look at it, you find it very insightful. Um, if you'd like to learn more about Smile Month, you can go to smilemonth.org as well as following us on social media. And if you want some more bespoke oral health advice, then you can talk to our helpline free of charge and I'll link all of their information below too now thank you for listening this month it has been um very very interesting we've had a lot of really good conversations so i hope that you have enjoyed and i hope that you also enjoy the rest of your day